If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Numbers, the 12th chapter. Numbers, the 12th chapter. And when you get there, get you a bookmark and put there. And uh, because we will be going elsewhere and looking at some other scripture uh, uh, later on as we go through this, this, uh, this, this study today. Now, as we get started, I want to uh, tell y'all something that y'all probably don't know. It's summertime, folks. And it's hot. And the heat of Texas is here. And you know, that heat causes a whole lot of people to be on edge. It causes a whole lot of people to be upset and be in a bad mood. Especially when they don't have no water. But that's beside the point. I mean, I see it on Facebook. People's tempers are starting to flare, and I hate that. But what I'm getting at is when it gets hot like this and we get on edge, it gets a lot of us to the position where we want to start griping and we want to start complaining. So my question is, do we have any complainers here today? It's okay to raise your hand. You, you notice that the preacher's got his hand stuck way up in the air. But, you know, it, it, what I've been doing is I've been doing some thinking back. And when I start thinking back, and I, I started asking myself I, how long I have been pastoring churches. And I really cannot tell you, me and Ann has talked about this before on several occasions, I really don't know how long it's been since I've been ordained. I'm guessing 15 years, give or take. Normally when they ordain you, they give you a certificate and the guys that are on the selection committee all sign it. Well, I didn't get that. So I have no idea when I was, I, I kind of have an idea, but somewhere around 15 years ago. But I can't even tell you how long I've pastored this church. I can't tell you when I first started coming here. But what I want to get at is this. Through all of those years and, and all of the different pastorates that I have had, I have withstood a lot of behind-the-scenes grumbling. Now, it's funny how most of that grumbling has transpired kind of, uh, uh, you know, below the surface. Uh, it, it, it always seems to be done under the table or behind closed doors or through a phone conversation or through a, a text message. But I've received all of those over the years. And I've thought about each one of those incidents deeply. Because, uh, and, and we're going to see and talk about some criticism today, but uh, I've come to the realization that most of the complaints and most of the griping that I have listened to through my career has been from people that are not happy with themselves. And they need someone to take it out on and for some reason, they feel like the pastor is the sounding board. He's the, he's the guy that, that needs to hear it all. But uh, some of those comments that I have received over the years can easily bring a person down. 
uh, especially a pastor. But those complaints seem, you know, some people seem to think that pastors don't have feelings, that they don't have a life of their own. But in all of those cases, what I've done is I have just simply put them in God's hands and it seems like God has always worked them out the way that the situation needs to be. Now by saying that, I'm certainly not standing up here telling you that I am beyond criticism because I'm not. But some of the responses that I have received over the years could have caused some serious damage. And not just between me and whoever, but also uh, with, with the larger work, which is the work in the kingdom of God. But there is a place for honestly confronting others, with, you know, when done in a loving way, when done in a gracious way. Yet maturity means that we have to learn to guard our hearts from, an, uh, from, from a hurtful, critical spirit. And, and we're going to see that in this lesson today. And I'm here to tell you, every church that I've ever pastored in my career, in every one of them, I had a throb. Now, as I told y'all, I'm not above criticism. I'm a human just like anybody else. And I make mistakes. And I make uh-oh. And Sharon Mock happens to be one of my throbs. Because every time I pull a goof, Sharon catches it nine times out of ten. And it's not that I intend to do that. It may be something as simple, and I think Joe even caught this here a couple of weeks ago. I needed to say David, and I said Daniel. Well, Sharon sends me a text message. And a lot of times Sharon sends me text messages. And Sharon's doing it for the right reason. She's not doing it trying to bring me down, you know, the, there's something that I have, a fear that I have of being a pastor is I do not want to misuse the Word of God. I do not want to misquote Scripture. But sometimes I will. I'll quote a Scripture and I'll say, you find that in such and such and such and such. Well, the next morning I get a text from Sharon and she goes, that wasn't there, that is here. Well, I appreciate that because the last thing that I want to do is lead people astray. And I thank Sharon for, for what she's doing. And she's not the only one because as you saw, I had trouble getting my wife's phone to where I needed to be. We do this as a podcast. And I have people that listen to me and they will send me a text message and they will say, hey, didn't you mean such and such? Well, I appreciate that because I do make mistakes. And so we're going to talk about today avoiding a critical spirit. And we're going to look at a little story today. Maybe you know is in the Bible, maybe you don't. But uh, it's in there, I promise. We're going to be in Numbers, the 12th chapter. Y'all there, amen? amen? Now, I'm not going to read as much of this as I need to. 
Because I bore you to tears. We're going to read a few verses and then directly we'll, we'll read some more. Y'all ready to go here? First, first verse. And Miriam and Aaron spake. That word spake is criticized against Moses because of the Ethiopian Cush, Cushite. Cushite. That's C-H- C-U-S-H-I-T-E. There you go. Thank you, Sharon. See, that's what I, that's what I need right there. You get, hang on to that because I'll need you again in a minute. But because of the Ethiopian woman whom he married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. That's right, number one. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? That's right, number two. That's the real reason they were complaining. Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now look at this. Now the man Moses was very meek above all men which were upon the face of the earth. Put your bookmark there. Be ready to go elsewhere. Now, a grumbling and critical spirit was all too evident all throughout the Israelites' journeying when they was wandering around out in the middle of nowhere. These, these Israeli people, they had the uncanny ability to find something to complain about all the time. And nine times out of ten, it was something that didn't amount to a whole lot. But most of the time, when they started grappling, they started complaining. Who was it aimed at? Their leader, Moses. Remember what I told you about being the pastor a while ago and being the sounding board? So now, that's who they started griping to. Now, we find that not only did these complainers and, and these people that were griping, you know, for, you know it, it, it came from the whole bunch of the Israelites, but whoever thought that it would come from Moses' closest relatives. Do you realize that Miriam and Aaron were his older siblings? He was younger. Aaron and Miriam were older. Now, notice that Miriam's name is mentioned first. That tells me that she was the instigator in this griping when it started out. And so we see that she was upset about a whole lot of things. And I pointed those out to you there in, in verses 1 and verses 2. Because in verse 1 we see the first gripe, and they say it was because of this woman that she married. He married. Now, see, there's that slip up I was telling you about. But now, what I want you to see is, that was just a spokesman. That's still not really what they wanted to gripe about, or what they wanted to complain about. In verse 2, you see what they really wanted to gripe about. And that was that, they, that it says, does the Lord speak only through Moses. That's what they really wanted to gripe about. In other words, does he not speak through us also? What we see here is they were jealous of their younger brother. 
I can relate to this to some degree. I'm the youngest of five. And for some reason, they did not care for or see to understand why Moses was in the position that he was in. You know, he was the recognized leader of the Israelite nation. That's just the way it was. I'll have more to say about that in a minute. Maybe they felt like that they had been slighted, that they hadn't been given enough credit for what they had done in their lives, their accomplishments. Whatever the reason being, whatever brought on this griping, this complaining, this fueled their, their animosity toward their little brother. And, and, and what they were doing was comparing themselves to their younger brother. Now, I pointed out verse 3 to you. Notice in verse 3, it tells us that Moses was a meek man. He was a humble man. And he would probably have been very eager to share his place, his uh, position with anyone if they so had a desire to be in that position. In fact, if, if you look back and real quick flip back to the 11th chapter of, of uh, Numbers and, and look in verse 29 and, and you will see that Moses expressed his desire that all God's people would have the Holy Spirit in their lives even as he did. Numbers eleven twenty nine says, And Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake? In other words, he was saying, Are you jealous of me? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put His Spirit upon them? Now, go back to, to, to Numbers. Go back to our text. But you notice there in that verse that we just read, Moses is saying, are you jealous of me? Folks, what I want you to see about this is, is of importance. We don't need to be jealous of what other people are doing in the Lord's work because there's room for everybody. Trust me, in this world we live in today, there's plenty of work to be done for the Lord. Just take a little look around and you can get involved if you want to. But all that Miriam and Aaron could see was God's apparent favor on Moses and it seemed like it was at their expense. You know, they, they had lost sight of the way that God had powerfully used them. For example, you know, Miriam was a prophetess. And do you realize she was the one that sang to God when God delivered them when they had the Red Sea on one side and Pharaoh and his army on the other. And God delivered them. And Miriam sang a very powerful song to God for rescuing them from their pursuers. Aaron, if you recall, was the mouthpiece for Moses when Moses had to go and tell Pharaoh 
let me have these Israelites. Why? You remember? Why? He stuttered. He stuttered. That's absolutely right. That's what I wanted you to get to. You know, when, when I was, was going to be ordained into the ministry, the first thing that I said was, was I can't talk right. And the guy that was kind of guiding me at that time goes, that's exactly what Moses said. <laughs> so Aaron was his mouthpiece. Alright, we're playing biblical trivia. What else did Aaron do? That's notorious. He was a high priest, but bigger than that. He was the first high priest. The first. Did y'all know that? If you didn't, well now you know a little biblical trivia. Yeah, he, he was the first high priest of the Lord. Yet, this is what I want you to see. Yet sadly, these two were so fixated on how God was speaking through Moses, what He was doing through him, that they forgot the ways that God had used them in leading the Israelite nation. Their eyes could only see through the lenses of what they lacked instead of what they had. So as they compared themselves to Moses, it, 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 you know, it, it caused a lot of problems. That comparison stole their joy. And, and, and it brought about a critical spirit. Now, we'll have something more to say about that in a minute. But just for a minute, I've got to get quit preaching and I've got to get on my soapbox. How many Facebookers do we have here today? I'm not one of you. I've got my hand up just to get y'all to put y'all's hand up. But I don't do Facebook. And, well, I could go off on another tangent, but I'm not. But if, if you are a Facebooker, a lot of what you see that most people, any social media, seems designed for comparing ourselves with other people. And, and what really blisters my tail feathers about Facebook is... There is people that will not walk up to you and look you in the eye and tell you, I've got a problem with you. But on Facebook, they will unload with both barrels at one time. And that just blisters my teeth. You got something to say to me, get in my face and say it. And let's get it resolved. Amen? But a lot of people don't do that. But that tells me that it would be a good idea to curtail our time on Facebook. That's just a thought. We don't need, listen, we don't need to compare ourselves to anybody. You want to compare yourself to somebody, compare yourself to God. See how you stand up to His standards. Because God created us every one of us in our own little unique way. And let me tell you this, if you don't get anything else out of this sermon today, get this, God will meet you where you are at to take you where He wants you to go. Amen? Alright, now I'm going to go back to preaching. Now, to all of the Mr. and Mrs. Grumble Dumps, 
that are listening today. We need to recognize the dangers of critical spirit. The consequences of a critical spirit. Because we're going to look at that here in just a minute. God gives us a very good warning this afternoon. I want you to flip to the book of Proverbs real quick. Proverbs, the fourth chapter, and I want you to look in verse 23. Proverbs, the fourth chapter, verse 23. Y'all got her? Amen? Amen. Keep thy heart, put the word mind, M-I-N-D right there. Keep thy heart or thy mind with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Now, our heart, our mind, our feelings, our desires dictate to a great extent how we live, how we function. Because we can always find time to do things that we enjoy. How many of y'all have ever been guilty of saying, I don't have time? Every one of them. I've got a sermon about that, by the way. Maybe I need to dig that up. But yet, if it's something we really want to do, we can always find time to do it. And here's the reason why. Whatever controls the mind, controls the man. Whatever captures the mind, captures the man. Now, it would be real easy for me to look down on Miriam and Aaron. It, it, it would be. For, because of their pettiness. The way they're behaving in this situation. But I can, I can recognize the attitude of their own heart. I can easily go down that same path of griping and complaining. Uh, you know, and, and comparing myself to other husbands, other fathers other pastors, other leaders. I can do, could do that real easy. But if I allow myself to do that, what, what I am doing, if I use that as the baseline of, of how I'm going to measure my worth, I start drifting either toward pride or despair or I'm like a ping pong ball between the two. Back and forth. And the result of a critical spirit can do nothing but demean others or diminish others. Even And here's the thing. We have to be careful. We have to be careful when we get a critical spirit. Let me ask you something. How are you going to explain when someone is doing exactly what God wants them to do. They're exactly where God wants them to be and you start criticizing. You think that's a good idea? You think there's consequences for that? When you start complaining, when you start griping, when you start comparing yourselves to someone else who is on the straight path with the Lord, 
You're doing more, nothing more than trying to lift yourself above that person. To make yourself look just as important as they are. One of the tragic fruits of, of comparison and criticism it breaks fellowship with people that we love, that, that we are intended to share with. Your complaints, your griping, your uh, uh, going on and on does nothing for the good. It shatters fellowship. It shatters relationships with others. A critical spirit can damage others. It can hurt others. But even more importantly, it impacts our relationship with the Lord. Why? Because, and we're going to see this in the next verse, God heard, God heard this criticism from Miriam and Aaron, and He had something to say. I can't wait to hear what it was. Look in verse 4. Some of y'all probably been cheating and reading ahead. Alright, y'all there? Numbers 12. You got it? Verse 4. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam, Come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out. In other words, God called them out and said, I need to talk to you. It's kind of like Christy, it's kind of like when you was growing up and you was in your bedroom and you heard your mama or your daddy say, young lady, come here. I need to talk to you. You knew nothing good was going to come from that. Where was I? Verse 4. Look at verse 5. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. And he said, hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so. Who is faithful in all mine house? With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently. That word apparently means plainly or appearing, and not in dark speeches. That's dark sayings or riddles. And the Sharon... What's that word? Similitude. Similitude. Thank you. Of the Lord shall behold, shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? All right. Now, what we're looking at here. Sometimes I wish the Lord could get a hold of Mr. and Miss Grumbledumps and tell them what he told Miriam and Aaron. You see, the Lord was, was not happy with their performance. Matter of fact, he got downright mad about their criticism and that, that he called them both out. And he called Moses as well. And he had a little set too, if you will, with the three of them. And he began by distinguishing Moses from them too. And from other prophets. And he started talking about 
the close relationship that he shared with Moses. And there is a reason for that. Moses had been granted a first hand of experience that that few other people had experienced. You know, Moses had experienced the knowledge of God's presence. That was very uncommon to anyone else. I want to show you something. Put your bookmark there. Flip to Exodus 33. Chapter 33. Y'all got it? Amen. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaking unto his friend. Of all the people there are in the Bible, how many people can you name that God spoke to face to face? I bet you that you could count them all on one hand and have a finger or two left over. That's the reason why God was talking the way He was about Moses to Aaron and and Miriam. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Really, I want you to get that first part. Now, why did Moses find such favor with God? I want you to think about that. God had called Moses for a specific reason. For a specific purpose. It wasn't because he was perfect. It wasn't because he was gifted. It wasn't because he was powerful. God chose Moses. And Moses in turn relied wholeheartedly on God's wisdom and God's direction. That's the reason why God said what he said. They shared a very tight relationship. A very tight friendship. Moses was a prophet. But he was more than just a prophet. So when Aaron and Miriam criticized Moses, they weren't just attacking God's credibility, Moses' credibility. They were questioning God. That's what they were doing. Himself. Now, I know that not all criticism is unwarranted. We all know that. Those who lead our churches, those who serve in various ministries are human and there's always room for growth. We've already kind of talked about that. But whenever sin or any behavior that doesn't honor Christ enters the scene, there is a place for loving, constructive criticism, and it should be used. In fact, it might be necessary for someone who's not representing the Lord well. But, if we ever find ourselves in that position, It doesn't give us the power or the authority to lord it over others. Instead, we need to be humble and we need to listen if it is directed at us to these calls for correction. 
In other words, we need a contrite heart, a contrite spirit, not beyond receiving the criticism or rebuke, whatever it may be, especially if there's a reason for it. Now, how many of y'all have ever had somebody say something about you and hurt your feelings? Why? Why did it hurt your feelings? It's not a loaded question. Come on, you can play the game. Probably because you didn't think it was deserved. Or it wasn't true. Whatever the case may be. That's where we need discernment. And discernment is a spiritual gift from God. And especially when we're confronting sin. But that, that is one thing that I feel like the Lord has blessed me with is the gift of discernment. That way, whenever someone starts complaining or griping about something that I've done, something that I said, didn't do, shouldn't do, I don't let it hurt my feelings. I don't let it get me down. I think about it, I pray about it, and then I try harder to do better is what I try to do. And that's what we need to do. You know, I, I feel like God gave me the good sense when I need to listen and when I need to just kind of grin and walk away. Now, if you look closely, Miriam and Aaron were not just speaking poorly of Moses. They were criticizing God as well. Oh my. So when they started doing that, things were going to happen. So what did God do? Look in verse 9. God got mad, didn't He? What does it say? The anger of the Lord burned against them and then He left. Or something sort of similar to that. Do you think that shocked Miriam and Aaron? I hope it did. I hope that if God got on to us that way, that it would shock us. In other words, when I say did it shock them, I'm sure it did, or I hope it did. That tells us that we need to evaluate our hearts when we decide we think we need to criticize somebody. Are we doing it for the right reason? Let me ask you a couple of questions here. We was talking about Facebook a while ago. Have you ever seen something on Facebook that got under your skin? You know. Why was you offended by a particular person's words? Why? Because what, what do we want to do? Nine times out of ten... When somebody says something to us that kind of ruffles our feathers a little bit, what's the first thing we want to do? We want to spark back, don't we? How many of y'all have ever said something and as soon as you said it went, Golly, I wish I had said that. Been there, done that? 
open mouth, stick foot in. I'm good at that. I'm real good at that. Every time someone says something that we find a little offensive, that gives us the opportunity to hurl the dart of criticism, don't it? And sometimes we do that before we even think about it. It's in those moments that we need to seek God and His wisdom. You know, because a lot of times criticism is just because of our preference. It's just because of our discontent with somebody else because of something they said. But what about when we start criticizing someone who is honoring the Lord, doing what the Lord wants him to do, they're in his will. Maybe instead of criticizing, we need to think a little bit and thank God that He is using that person. You know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Y'all ever heard that? And sometimes God can use somebody that you think God couldn't use to do a mighty work. And then we want to criticize them? So think about that. The next time you, you find yourself in that position. Alright, let's continue. i got to get this done. Let's read on. Look in verse 10, Numbers 12. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not the sin, or lay, the, lay not the penalty of this sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, and wherein we have sinned. Uh-oh, we're busted. We did an uh-oh. Shouldn't have done it. Let, let her not be as one dead, of whom the flesh is half consumed, when he cometh out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. And the Lord said unto Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed even seven days? Let her be shut, that word shut is exiled, out from the camp seven days, and after that let her be received in again. And Miriam was shut out from the camp seven days, and the people journeyed not till Miriam was brought in again. Now, things didn't look good for this old gal, did it? You remember what I said a while ago? I told you they wasn't just speaking against or against Moses, but they were speaking against God. And did I tell you sometimes criticism has circumstances? You see what happened? Wow. That's tough. Knowing, because God told them, the relationship that He had with Moses, what did Aaron do? He was humbled. And he pleaded with the one that he had criticized. And look what Moses did. Moses showed even greater humility and he pleaded with God himself to heal her. And God answered that prayer and healed Miriam, didn't he? But why didn't God 
kill her immediately. Why did he wait? Didn't it say in there, even if her father would have spit in her face, shouldn't she be ashamed seven days? Why did God wait seven days before He got rid of the leprosy? Say again, Sharon? Teacher, a lesson. Very good. How many of y'all ever got sent to the corner and you stand in that corner and think about what you've done, young man or woman? Lady, however you say it. In other words, God was giving her a time to reflect. To think about what she had done. And there was a reason for that. It, it may seem harm, when, you know, harsh when we look at it, but she was given those days to reflect, to repent, ask God to forgive her for what she had done. And then it says that she was brought back in. And I want you to think about this. God had every right to banish these two. Miriam and Aaron. He had every right to do them in, but He didn't. How amazing it is that after her time outside the camp, she was brought back in. Even when her heart had spoken against God. Her restoration allowed her back in. But there's something even more important than I want you to see here. Notice, and I kind of read through it quickly, and I did it on purpose. But when we read that, did you catch that one little infinite detail or it, did it go right over the top of your head? One important thing in that. What was the Israelites' goal? We talked about this a week or two ago. They were going around that mountain and God stopped them and said, Turn, go north. Where did he, why did He want them to go north? Where were they going? The promised land. That was their goal. Did you catch that little detail in there that those seven days that she was cast out of the camp, they went nowhere. Did you see that? They stayed put. I may not be speaking to any one of y'all, but I'm going to put this little, little tidbit out there. Folks, that community of Israelites couldn't move because of her critical spirit. Is God speaking to anyone here today? The church of God cannot move forward when it has a critical spirit in it. I want you to think about that. Don't think I'm pointing my finger at anybody. I'm not. I'm just asking you a simple little question. Why? Because of this. You see, she did wrong. And God punished her because of it. But she was restored. That tells us we can do the same. If we have stepped outside 
of God's boundaries, we can be brought back in. We have to think about what we did just like she did. We have to repent and ask God to forgive us. You see, there is all sorts of relationships that have been torn apart because of criticism. And here's something to think about. I've got a couple of more questions for you and I'm going to wind this up. Do people avoid you? Do people avoid you? Do they walk around you so they don't have to hear your criticism? Maybe God's trying to tell you something. All I know is if we have a critical spirit, we confess to the Lord, repent, and He will receive us back in. And then the church can move forward. Now you think about this. Miriam's legacy could have been her criticism of Moses. But this is what God said. You don't have to turn there. Micah 6.4 says, Indeed I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from that place of slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam ahead of you. You see, even though her legacy could have been criticism, her legacy was her role of leadership in the kingdom of God. Because she went with Aaron and Moses to rescue the people out of Egypt. So what can we learn from this today? It's real simple. Number one, don't be a Mr. or Miss Grumbledump. That's number one. Number two, stop dumping your grumbling on someone else. Number three, See things through God's eyes. And along with that is, if something displeases you, don't start grappling and complaining about it. Get off your derriere and do something about it. If you're not going to do anything about it, keep your big mouth shut. This is God's discipline word for us today. How many of you have been grappling about how hot it is? It is hot. Okay. It's hot. It's dry. Now I'm going to put you on the spot. What are you doing about it? You're grappling about it. Turning your air conditioner down. Hey, that ain't getting rid of it, is it? What, what do we need to be doing? That's exactly right. How, how many times did you pray and said, Lord, we need some relief from this heat. We need some heat relief from this dry. We need some rain. Because you and I ain't going to change what's going on outside our own. No matter how hard we try. We're not going to stop it. We're not going to fix it. We're not going to change it. But I know somebody who can. So do something about it. And that's what you need to do.
So listen to God's Word today. Let's pray together. Father God, we just thank You for this time that we've had to be in Your house today, Father. We just thank You again for Your love, Your mercy, Your grace, all the blessings that You give us, Father. Father, we just ask that You bring us some relief from this heat and from this dryness. You're the only one that can cool things down. You're the only one that can bless us with rain that we desperately need. Father, I, I thank You that these people came today, even though it was hot and is hot. And it would be real easy to say, no, I'm not getting out. I'm just going to stay in my air conditioning to just stay cool. But they came here. Why to praise and honor and glorify You to worship You? Father, certainly we lift up the folks that are not with us today. We pray that they're safe. They're okay. There's a lot going on right now. We got, we've got some issues going on, Father. And we just ask that You move in the situation where there's a lot of folks with no water and just... just Bring that to an end some way, somehow, Father. Certainly we pray for all the folks on our prayer list. There's lots of needs there. Father, just heal where healing is needed. Comfort where comfort is needed. Father, just whatever the need, we ask Your Spirit to move and that Your will be done in each one of them's lives. Father, just lead, guide, and direct us. Forgive us where we fail You. Continue to protect us in this very challenging time that we live. And we ask, Father, that when we go out in our daily lives, that we can be a bright light in a very dark world. It's in Your Son's name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, let's turn to the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Luke, the 10th chapter. This is going to be a very familiar story to you, or should be. Luke, the 10th chapter. We're going to begin reading in verse 38. Y'all got her? Amen? Amen. Luke 10, verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. That word received is welcome. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard His word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, or distracted with much serving, and came to Him and said, Lord, doest Thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore, or tell her therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled. That word careful is worried. Worried and troubled about many things. But pay attention to this very last verse. But one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Now, as you look at that last verse that we just read, somebody tell me what the title of the sermon is today. One thing is needful. One thing is needful. One thing is necessary. Now, this, this little narrative that we looked at today is probably one of the shortest narratives that you will find in the Bible. But even though it is short, it still has a lot to offer us. It has a lot to say to us. 
Now, in this, this reading today, we're introduced to this gal named Martha, who just might be, in my opinion, the patron of the 21st century. Now, why do I say that? Notice what Jesus says to Martha. He says, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. Now, you have to understand, this was 2,000 years ago, and This was before TV. This was before cell phones. This was before social media. And all of this other stuff. This was before the things that distract us in this day and age. Martha was worried and distracted by many things. I can only imagine what Martha would be like if she lived in this environment today, in this society today. I wonder what she would respond, what she would say. But we live in a time of never-ending worries and distractions. You know, the distractions are very obvious and, and include those things that I just mentioned plus a whole lot more. But the worries, though, are equally obvious. And, and they seem to wear us down. And, and they seem to, to grow bigger all the time. And, and they distract ourselves. And, and we, we, we get into these distractions and we get into these worries and, and we're thinking about them and it just seems like we can't overcome them and they just kind of wear on us and, and get the best of us. But we can all relate, I think, in some way or another to Martha. In other words, we are worried and anxious about many things. Now, we notice in this, not this little narrative that Martha opened up her house and she did that to offer hospitality to this traveling rabbi and his entourage. She did it as a public sign of her religious commitment. Uh, you know, in, in welcoming Jesus, that's who we're talking about, and his hand-picked dudes, she was following the time-honored Middle Eastern ritual of hospitality. And we see that Martha was very busy in the kitchen. And, and Mary, her sister, on the other hand, was, was chose to remain in the living room with Jesus. And she was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to His words of wisdom. Martha, won't, Martha was worried. She was anxious about what was going. She wanted everything in the kitchen to turn out just right. She wanted to make sure that the beans didn't get scorched, Ted. That would have been a big deal. But in fact, she thought that her sister, if she had any decency about her, if, 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 if she had any good sense, she would come help her. And that would relieve some of the pressure she was under. That would lift some of the burden. It could be eased. But Sister Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, hanging on His every word, not helping Martha with one little thing. Now when we read this, 
Many of us have felt like coming to Martha's defense. After all, the poor thing, she, she only wanted to serve. We can't all be like Mary, can we? But Jesus' words ring out to me today. And I hope they're ringing out to you. Every time I read this, there is one thing that jumps out at me. And that one thing is, there is one thing that is needful. There is one thing that is necessary. And I have to ask myself a very serious question. Do I actually believe that? Do I actually believe that? Is it reflected in the way I view my time? Now, I'm not used to thinking about what's necessary. When when I look at my time management, I usually break it down into three categories. Number one, things that I must do. Pay bills. Feed the family. Secondly, Things I should do. Exercise, being that I'm kind of growing into my profession a little bit. Maybe cleaning up some of the junk that I have acquired over all these years. And thirdly, things that I want to do. Like go do things I enjoy. Fish, hunt, whatever you enjoy. But Jesus, our Lord, said only one thing is needful. He says it very clearly. Now, if that was a suggestion from a close friend or from a great book, I might just blow it off as systematic and very simplistic. But we're talking about Jesus here. And He's not simplistic. What Jesus is doing here, He's speaking to Martha's heart cutting right through every defense that she has because her sister is not helping her. How many of y'all got little sisters? And y'all relate to this going, "Uh uh-huh, I know exactly how she feels. But as I was preparing and studying this message, I came across a new word. Have y'all ever heard of hyper-living? Hyper-living. That was a new one on me. And I found out that not only are most of us hyper-living, but the University of Houston actually offers a master's degree in the study of the future centering around the phenomenon of hyper-living. Check me out. As God is my witness, that's the truth. Who would have thought that you could get a degree in that? So now, being that, being that easy joke, being that you're sitting there, and I'm surprised that none of y'all have heard of hyper-living. But what is hyper-living? What, what is hyper-living? Well, hyper-living is we want to do more and more with less and less. Did you get that? We want to do more and more with less and less. You know, some people, I, I'm not guilty of this. Well, I'm almost guilty of it. 
But some people, and I've got that day planner that I, I write down people's names and, and what's going on and people's names on the prayer list. But people will have one of those and it'll have all sorts of papers stuffed in it and rubber bands around it to hold it. Nowadays, a lot of people use their iPhone and put stuff in their iPhone. I got that in my phone too. I can put them notes in it. I can't find them. But that's hyper-living. You know, we, we, we buy these time-saving gadgets that is supposed to help us get along and remember everything that we've got going on and we don't have time to read the instructions on how to use the thing when we get it. Okay, let's, go, let's get this into our terminology. How many of y'all can multitask? You think you can multitask? Okay, you know what we do? We get in our car. We drive our car. We're eating something, drinking our coffee, talking on the cell phone, listening to the radio, and we can even make gestures if we're in bad traffic in Dallas, Texas. That's multitasking. Okay, how many of y'all have ever seen, there's that red light up there, and you're pulling up to that red light, and there's two lanes, and you're looking at that car and that pickup, and you're sitting there going, I wonder which one of them is going to put his boot in it so I can get out of here faster. Okay, how many of you go to the checkout line, and if there's more than one open, you're counting people and you're counting items in the basket. And you're doing the old country boy math in your head. And, and we're sitting there. Somebody pulls in over there. And we're over here. And we keep our eye on them. And if we get out before they do, we think we've accomplished something. But if we're still in line and they walk out the door, whoo, we start getting perturbed. That checkout gal don't know what she's doing. Hyper living. We're all guilty of it. How many of you, when you drive long distance, put your boot in it just a little bit more and push that speed limit about five miles an hour? Oh, that cop won't ever. Oh, somebody's pointing fingers. We've already got down to finger pointing. I'm staying out of this, but we're down, we're down to point finger pointing. But that, that highway patrol, he's not going to give us a ticket for driving five miles an hour over the speed limit. We've just got to get there sooner. Now, I see heads nodding, so I know that y'all are guilty of some of the things that I've talked about. That means you're hyper-living. And hyper-living is a very good way to describe Martha in our little story today. A world in which one is so busy planning and organizing and perfecting and controlling and maximizing our time that we never have time to stop and smell the roses. We never have time to just catch our breath. And most importantly, we don't have time to listen to Jesus. I bet you I can't do that. If I could, though, 
If I was a bet man, I would say every one of us in this room at one time or another has said, I don't have time. What did we talk about a week or two ago? We say we don't have time, but yet when it comes to something we can enjoy, we can always find time to do it. You know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but there's still 24 hours in the day. It still takes 60 seconds to make a minute. It still takes 60 minutes to make an hour. And time is not going faster for Sharon and slower for Barton. It's moving at the same time, just like it does all the time. It's how we manage our time. What did Jesus say here when Martha was upset at Mary for listening to Jesus? He said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. There is only one thing that is needful. Mary has chosen the better part. And I should have told you, when I read that, you can put the word portion there instead of part. Mary has chosen the better portion which will not be taken away from her. There is only one thing that is needed. Mary chose that one thing. Martha had been scurrying around in the kitchen in her hyper-living way trying to make everything perfect, perfect yet Everything she was doing was transient. Because just in a matter of a few minutes, all the food was going to be eaten. All the guests were going to leave. All the dishes were going to be clean. A house was going to be putting back in order. And it, it would be as if no one had been there. And just like that, Jesus' visit would only be a faint memory for Martha. In other words, what I'm saying, she was so busy hyper-living, she completely missed it. She had Jesus in her house. How many of us would give no telling what to have Jesus in our house and we could sit and talk to Him? But her sister, Mary, was listening to every word. And everything that she heard had a lasting impact on her life. In fact, it is thought that this is the Mary that took the expensive ointment and anointed Jesus' head and feet prior to Him being Crucified. Whatever she heard that day at the feet of Jesus caused her to follow Jesus. This is one of the Marys that we talk about that was standing at the very cross of Christ when He was crucified. Something touched her faith. Something touched her to the very core of her being. 
So my question to you today is, should we become more like Mary and less like Martha? Is there no place for busy service like Martha? What we need to do is we need to find ourselves in a place. A place that is an environment that nurtures and encourages us. The Bible says we do not live by bread alone. You find that in Deuteronomy 8, the third chapter. Here was Jesus, the bread of life, present and available. And what was Martha doing? She was worried about the bread she was cooking in the oven. So she missed out on hearing the words of Jesus. The words that impacted her sister to the very core. How many of y'all got a quiet time? If you don't, shame on you. Shame on you. I want to ask you something. What did Jesus do for you? When He died on that cross, He gave His all for you. And you can't take five stinking minutes out of your day to just read a one verse of Scripture. Good grief. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. How hard is that? Amen. I may have it wrong, Sharon. Look that up. I'm getting wound up. But Jesus gave His all and you can't take time out of your day. I don't think any of us are so stinking busy that we can't give... Five minutes to just read a verse of Scripture and pray and then just sit there and listen. Jesus was literally in her house. Physically. He can be in your house too. He can be just as close to you as he was to Mary and to Martha. Folks, I say a lot of things. And I want you to hear this. If there ever was a time in human history that you need to learn to listen, it is now. There is a whole pot full of people out there that are hurting that all they need to do is just talk and hear their own voice. We deal with people like that all the time, don't we, Lord? They've got some pain. They've got some hurt in their lives. They just need someone to talk to. Just listen. That's all we need to do. Listen to their demands of justice. Listen to Jesus so we can move away from our fears. That we can move away from the prejudices that we have in our lives. What we see here is Mary knew who to listen to. Surely we can do the same. But what else did Jesus say about Mary? Not only was she doing the one necessary thing that she needed to do... But she had chosen, what did I tell you? The good portion. 
or the good part, it says. That good portion was necessary. But understand, she was the one. She was the one that deliberately made the choice to sit at Jesus' feet and listen. Why can't we do that? Our bodies... It's hot outside. I don't need to tell nobody that. It's nearly unbearable. And our bodies cannot survive if we don't drink water, can we? And the more you work and the hotter it gets, the more you better be drinking. Did y'all see that on Fox News headlines? That one gal died on vacation with her family because she drank too much water. Did y'all see that? I didn't read the story, I just saw the headline and that just blew my mind. Because I want to tell you something, I can guzzle water like a fish. But what I'm getting at is this. In order for us to survive in this hot weather, we have to make that conscientious decision to drink water. Physically. That satisfies our physical thirst. What about your spiritual thirst? I want y'all to turn to Psalm, the 73rd chapter. Psalm 73. Psalm 73, let's look in verse 26. Y'all got it? Amen. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength. That word strength is literally rock. God is the rock strength of my heart and my portion forever. Jesus was Mary's portion. Is He yours? Is He your portion? Jesus said in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. Is your hunger and your thirst satisfied in Jesus Christ? Do you love being in His presence? Do you want Him guiding your life? Do you want Him directing your life? Do you want Him lifting your burden? Listen to me, folks. If, if you eat junk food all the time, binge on junk food, you won't have an appetite for a healthy, fresh meal. And in the same way, your soul cannot crave the bread of life if like Martha, you are so distracted with much servings and anxious and worried about many things. Jesus comes to us in love and authority. Don't let that intimidate you. Don't discount His authority because of His love for you. It is Christ Himself who tells us that there is one thing necessary. So the next time that tells me that the next time that you're tempted, that you think there are many earthly things that you must do, 
You need to remember what He said. And I'm going to kind of put it to you in country boy terminology. Don't be looking for it in the Bible because it ain't going to be there. But in this world that we live in, as it just marches on, and it's frantic madness and pace, and many demands insist on our attention, we can become people who choose to just simply sit still at the Lord's feet and listen. But we've got to choose to do that. Why? Because in God's Word, that's where we receive that good part, that good portion that we need most. Alright folks, I've got to wrap this up. I've got to move to a close this evening. But I want to state some things unequivocally clear to you before I quit. The bad news is there is some extremely unpleasant side effects to cumberedness. Yeah, I just made that word up. Jesus said that Martha was cumbered. I just put nest on the end. Cumberedness. And you're saying, okay, what is the side effects? Exhaustion. Resentment, envy, anxiety, hostility, dissension, hatred. I could go on and on. But there's a cure for every one of these side effects. There is a cure for each one of these afflictions. And what is that? To be just like Mary. To be like Mary. Four things that we need to get out of this. The first thing we need to see and understand, Mary had priority. After Jesus and His entourage arrived in the home, Martha energetically attacked her unachievable to-do list. At some point, she looked up and she thought, where's my baby sister? That little brat ain't doing a cotton-picking thing to help me. And there she was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha's thinking to herself, you know, somebody needs to get the good dishes down and make sure they're clean. Somebody needs to be peeling them taters because if nobody peels them taters, I'm over here trying to fry this chicken. Something's not going to work out right. Oh my. So what does Martha do? Same thing nine of us out of ten do whenever something goes wrong. We start nagging and complaining. And Walker, I don't like being out of water. It ain't no fun. But I want to tell you something. I get so frustrated and it just blisters my tail feathers of all the crap 
that's being said on social media and people ain't got a clue what they're talking about. And it just blisters me. And I had one guy I talked to this week. Finally, I found somebody that agreed with me. He said, all the nagging and complaining and finger pointing ain't accomplishing a dadgum thing. It ain't going to get that water turned on any quicker. But we do. And that's what Martha did. Did you see it in there when we read it? She started complaining, didn't she? What did she say? She said, Lord, don't you even care that my little sister's not doing anything? She's not helping me? And what did she expect? She expected Jesus to just cloud up and rain all over her. Just give her a good talking to. Instead, what did He tell her? He said, there's some more important things than a clean house and a hot meal. Only one thing is needed, and your sister has chosen that good part. Secondly, Mary was prepared. You know, no matter how many times Jesus warned people when He was crucified, it surprised a lot of folks. But Mary, because she had spent so much time with Jesus, listening to every word that He said, she was ready for His death. The Bible tells us in the Gospel of John, the 12th chapter, verse 3, that she poured a pound of ointment. And if, I, if I've got this right, if I've got this right, this was expensive stuff. It was like a year's salary, the amount she poured on Jesus head and feet. Why did she do that? Because you remember what they did after He died? They poured all that expensive ointments and fragrance stuff all, you know. That's what that was pointing to. And this was just days before His crucifixion. I tell you that to say this. You don't need a year's salary to always be prepared to entertain unexpectedly. You you do need to have a walk with God. You need to keep your house in an acceptable order every day. Have a supply of non-perishable items laying around so yeah, you can whip up a quick meal or two. Thirdly, Mary was pragmatic. (laughs) It makes me wonder if Martha's sister Mary was still alive today. I wonder what her response would be to all the flawless displays on social media that we see. Probably she would look at them and she would go, Really? knowing that that pose on social media took no telling how many dozens of shots before it was photoshopped and then it was filtered beyond all recognition. Let me tell you something. When you start seeing all that stuff on social media, you go ahead and admire the work of someone trying to prove how wonderful his or her life is. But you don't forget this. You praise God for His goodness 
and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Lastly, Mary presumed all things were possible. How many of y'all have ever worried about something? Come on now. How many of y'all have ever worried about something? Been anxious about something? We all have. How many of you has ever got anxious over something and that turns out to be nothing and you try to solve a problem that doesn't need a solution? Yeah, me too. So why was Martha wasting time, wasting energy, being cumbered about with the task of feeding Jesus and His 12 hand-picked dudes when if you look in the previous chapter of Luke, chapter 9, there's a story in there that Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children. A couple of fish, a little bit of bread. And if I remember the story, when they gathered up all that was left over, there was 12 baskets. Well, what are you getting at? What do you mean, preacher? Because her focus was on what she had to do, not on what Jesus had already done. And because of it, she missed a miracle right there in her own house. Just like that. While on the other hand, her sister Mary could relax. Why could she relax? Because she had the faith that the Lord would supply all of her needs according to the riches of His glory. So, we're going to wrap this up by saying this. You can be a complainer. You can choose to be anxious. You can choose to be resentful. You can even choose to be an envious host. Or, You can make Mary your mentor and multiply the miracles in your life and answered prayer that you see. I advise you to choose to be like Mary and choose that good part. To choose that good portion. We're going to pray together and after we're done, we're going to have a pop test. So be prepared. Father God, we just thank You for the opportunity to be in Your house today. Father, we just thank You for all the blessings that You give us. Father, thank You for loving us. Thank You for providing for us. And most importantly, Father, thank You for forgiving us when we fail. Father, I just ask that You bless each one here today, that You guide and direct each one of us, that You continue to protect us in this very challenging time that we live. Father, we ask that You provide us with some relief from this heat and some rain that we desperately need. Father, there's some folks not with us today. We certainly hope they're okay. And Father, all the prayer requests, all the different situations that's going on in this world, we just ask You again, 
to meet the needs. Father, just provide for the folks that are hurting, that, that are ailing. Father, I just ask that as we leave this place today, that You guide and direct each step that we take. And You bring us back at the next appointed hour. It's in Your Son's name we pray. Amen.